For what do I have if I don't have you, Jesus? What in this life could mean anymore? You are my rock. You are my glory. You are the lifter of my head. Hi, and welcome to The Rock Podcast. Daniel chapter 9 is famous for what is called the 70 weeks prophecy. Four verses that outline the future of Israel that brings about the culmination of human history. This prophecy comes on the heels of a prayer of confession. Let's join Pastor Ross now with a message entitled, A Powerful Prayer and an Amazing Prophecy. So as I've mentioned tonight, one of the most striking uh, prayers in all of the Bible tonight, Daniel chapter 9, and one of the most awesome responses, an answer to prayer in the form of a famous prophecy called the 70 weeks. So we're going to take a look at that uh, tonight. Let's dive right in to the first three verses of Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler over the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah, the prophet, that the desolation or destruction of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and ashes. And we'll pause there. Uh, And number one, of course, is the inspiration for the prayer that's going to be coming now. It's about 15 verses. It's very powerful. It's a prayer of conviction and repentance, not only of his own sin, but for the sin of the people. So uh, Daniel was a student of the word of God, um, and he is seeking answers and clarity because he's had a couple visions Uh, And in Daniel uh, chapter 7, his first vision kind of left him troubled, you remember. Um, uh, He saw the four world empires and then the the last days empire that that sprang from that fourth beast. And uh, we talked all about that, the end of the world, really. And it left him troubled. And uh, chapter 8, his second vision was kind of backed up a little bit, and he uh, was given a vision really that focused in about uh, the Antichrist and um, the first Antichrist, the prototype, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, and his destruction there under the Greek rule that has already come and gone. That vision left him physically ill. So he's been seeking some answers on where did Daniel go? He's a man of God. He went to the Bible, and uh, we know that in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16, all scripture is inspired and God-breathed uh, from the Lord that instructs us and reveals truth and brings comfort. So it, it's not surprising to me that Daniel, after these visions, he's trying to make sense of everything that God has been showing him. He goes uh, to the scrolls, to the word of God, where he's going to find some answers. Now, uh, Daniel, you recall, has been in Babylon, exiled there from Jerusalem some 70 years. So he's in his, his early 80s, mid-80s. He's lived his entire life from his teens 
in Babylon or uh, modern day Iraq. And uh, he has uh, been used there to make a great impact. And God has promoted him. He's been in government and all of these uh, official positions. And I guess he's sort of in semi-retirement. It sounds like he's trying to retire, but the Lord keeps uh, using him. And so he uh, now uh, it says that he was reading Jeremiah and looking for answers. And here's what he found in Jeremiah 29 Verses 10 and following, I have that for you. There are other places as well. So this is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I've banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. So, so it's been 70 years. Daniel's reading Jeremiah. Jeremiah was a contemporary of Daniel. He was a friend. He may have heard him preach back in the, when he was a teen or a child in Jerusalem when Jeremiah was preaching. And it's fascinating to me that he knew the scrolls and the writings of Jeremiah were scripture before they were officially uh, said, uh, for, for, formally, officially uh, made scripture, whatever. You know, did you get, you understood what that meant. You're the interpretation of tongues. <laughs> All right, and so look at this. Do you see why this, this wonderful prayer is about to unfold? And of course, the, 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 the 70 week prophecy that unlocks all the other prophecies are going to come about as uh, on the heels of this prayer. But this is why he's praying. It's 70 years, Daniel, and Daniel knows he, he, this is it. I've lived through this. He's going to bring us back. And then he says, when you pray with all your heart. So the prayer. He, he, he just doesn't read the Bible to know stuff. He reads the Bible, and then it inspires him to put, 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 it, put the truth into action and to be blessed, right? And so why, what good is it to know anything if you're not living it, right? To be a hearer only and so deceive ourselves, James chapter 1 and verse 22 we should not just be hearers only. So Daniel's not. And by the way, he had access to Isaiah too. So now he knows Babylon is going to be destroyed. Uh, Jeremiah 25 said that. So he also knows that God is saying, I'm going to come, come for you in 70 years. Oh, he, he's got a calendar. It's been 70 years, right? And, and number three, he's got Isaiah. Isaiah, I've got it for you. Who says to Cyrus... He is my shepherd and will accomplish all that I please. God speaking about this King Cyrus. He will, he will save Jerusalem. Let it be rebuilt. And of the temple, let its foundation be laid. All right, well, King Darius the Mede is viceroy for King Cyrus of Persia. They're working together, but uh, Darius is sort of his counterpart in another region while King Cyrus, so, so he's got a guy out of nowhere. Isaiah, 205 years earlier, 
is prophesying that some man named Cyrus is going to be a world ruler and he's going to release the Jews from Babylonian captivity. So Daniel is just excited. He's seeing the world unfold prophetically before his very eyes. Sound familiar? <laughs> uh, we're watching the same sort of things happen, and, and it motivates this man to pray. And so things are lining up. Um, he knows that uh, he was exiled in 605 BC. It is now the first year of King Darius, that's 538 BC. Uh, we're closing in on seven decades, a couple years. So he's going to start praying to watch this happen. Um, he says, I understood from the scriptures, wow, this is happening. Uh, so I went to the Lord in prayer. Uh, it was John Calvin who said, nothing therefore can be better for us than to ask for what he has promised. Right? So he's reading about all of this. And instead of just saying, well, it says that the Lord is going to come in 70 years and bring us back. Let's do this. Why does he have to go through this arduous uh, dedication of praying and repenting for uh, because the, the truth inspires him to be holy and to kind of, you know, the, you know where Peter says in First Peter, I, I believe it's chapter one, where he says we ought to speed the day of God's coming by living holy. I think this is the understanding. He sees, wow, the Lord is about to move here in a big way. Well, I'm going to cooperate that with that work. Um, John Wavwoods put it this way. He said, uh, Daniel left nothing undone that might possibly make his prayer more effective or persuasive. So now to the prayer now. This is no half-hearted prayer as you're going to see. Uh, he's, he just heard, when you seek me with all your heart. So four through six. I pray to the Lord, my God, and confess, O oh Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We've not listened to your prophets, to your servants, the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. And so... He begins with adoration and confession. And uh, it's sort of elements of everyday prayer, right? Like the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6 and Luke 11. We start out with adoration and loving God as we don't just start our prayers off with us and our needs. So he begins acknowledging God's greatness and goodness. Um, uh, you know, the problem isn't God's problem. Uh, it's our problem and our failure and uh, he's, God is always ready and willing. Now, this is the first time that you'll find um, Yahweh mentioned. Whenever you see all caps in the NIV in the Old Testament, it's Yahweh or Jehovah. It's called the Tetragrammaton. Uh, it's the Y-H-W-H. And depending on what vowels you put in for Hebrew, it can go Jehovah or it could go Yahweh. Most people say Yahweh. Now, uh, it comes from a verb stem, which means to be or to I am that I am. So it's his covenant name. 
So Daniel hasn't been using his covenant name because he's been talking about world Gentile empires and, and things like that. And plus, Israel's been banished, right? And so now he's talking to the covenant-keeping God. He wants to talk about the promises of God and hope. And so he's saying, Yahweh, my Elohim, uh, the covenant-keeping God, my Lord Almighty. And so he says, your love never fails. You know, you keep all your loving promises to those who are walking with you in love. And so now he's going to uh, transition into confession, and it's time to own up to everything. So uh, he's essentially saying we're in this mess uh, because of our own wickedness. Now, here's a description, a great description. Man, if you ever need to repent, and who doesn't? This is the model prayer. This is the way to approach God when, when, when you need to turn your life around. When there's something that's not quite right, this is the way, just model this. Number one, he says, we've sinned. And that word in the Hebrew means to miss the mark or to fall short, much like the Greek word. Um, and it concentrates on bad behavior of thinking or saying or doing. Right, And so the second word he uses, he says, we've done wrong. So he doesn't just stop with saying, hey, we've sinned. He says, we've sinned and we've done wrong. Now word there is iniquity. In the Hebrew, it means to be bent or crooked or perverse. And it really describes the warped nature that prompts bad actions. So not only have we sinned and missed the mark, right, and done and said and thought uh, bad things, but... The, the mechanism within <laughs> is faulty, you know, our sin nature. And then he uses the word wicked. We behaved wickedly um, there in your, in your text. That word means lawless. It means that doing whatever you want to do whenever. It's just lawlessness. Then he says, we've rebelled. I mean, there's a long list here. And, and to rebel there is to revolt against royalty, to, to kind of be an anarchist or to plot a, a coup d'etat, to take over, to, to mutiny. Um, and, and that's what it's talking about there. Um, and, then he says, and, and then he says, we have not listened even though we had the knowledge. So he's saying, hey, we knew, right? You warned us. Uh, you sent servants and prophets, and we just ignored it. It was like, yeah, yeah whatever. We mocked them. We, then when they annoyed us too much, we persecuted them. And then if we really wanted to get away, get, the, get them out of our space, we just would execute them. And, and, and so we see there's a beautiful list. There's no making excuses. There's never, never, it never does any good to try to, salvage your reputation or justify your actions or excuse your behavior or defend your motives. When you're wrong, you're wrong. And, and true repentance, if you want to get right with God, just flat out honesty. Look at the layers of, wow, that's really reality there. Now, um, you know, it was painful for me to watch uh, Brian Williams come back in the spotlight, the NBC anchor who was caught by NBC 11 times lying 
about stories. From the anchor desk of NBC, 11 stories completely, utterly false. Now he's reinstated, he's still gonna make $10 million, and, and, but he's banished to MSNBC, the, the cable news. So they put him there, he's not gonna be at the desk anymore. But it was painful two days ago to watch him talk for the first time after a suspension. Oh, it was not modeled after this prayer. It was a masterpiece of how to spin a bold-faced lie into something that you could probably possibly be proud of. There was psychobabble and motivation. And by the time the violins were playing in the background, by the time you wanted to stand up and cheer for him, before you realized, oh, he's a liar. He just lied flat out. And so, you know, that's our, our culture. That's our nature. That's not what, how he started the prayer. But wait, there's more. 7 through 14. Lord, you're righteous, but this day we're covered with shame. The men of Judah and people of Jerusalem and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you've scattered us because of our unfaithfulness to you, just never stops. Oh, Lord, we and our kings, our princes, our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he gave us through his servants, the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey you. Therefore, the curses and sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us because we've sinned against you. You have fulfilled the word spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like what has been done to Jerusalem. Just as it is written in the law of Moses, all this disaster has come upon us, yet we haven't sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring the disaster upon us for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. And so let's take a look at that. So he goes from adoration and confession to just, you know, saying we're humiliated. We're covered in shame. We love you, Lord. We're totally and utterly, uh, we have totally and utterly blown it, and we're really humiliated. So Israel has fallen from grace in the eyes of the whole world. The whole world watched this happen. The whole world at that time. Uh, everyone heard about it. Back in the day, Moses promised that Israel, if they obeyed God, would have preeminence, fame, and fortune in the world. Deuteronomy chapter seven and verse six said, if you walk with me, I've selected you out of the whole earth. Nobody will be like you. You'll be the head, not the tail, and all these beautiful things. You'll be my treasured, people. And everybody will know you'll be a light to the world, Isaiah 49 and verse 5, to bring truth and to reflect my uh, good news to the world there. Uh, Deuteronomy 28 verses 7 and following. Uh, promise of military success uh, if they were faithful. 
The nations of the world, he said, will respect and revere and fear you. And for a long time they did. I have a map. Perhaps you didn't know under David and Solomon's reign, the influence of Israel. It was big. Now, now some maps stop right around here, but the rest of it is pretty well established. That, And over and over again, especially in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 9, it says all the kings of the earth came to visit Israel and to see Solomon, to ask him questions about his wisdom. All the kings of the earth. The whole world knew about Israel. The whole world. All the kings, it says. And not just one time. So, I mean, the queen of, of, of Sheba, the south. And it's not just her. It was all, everybody knew. And so he's saying, we're humiliated. Not to, say, not to mention we've disgraced the name of God uh, on the whole planet, you know? So instead of respect, the pagan nations now scorn them and deprive them of their freedom and their land. And God's name is drugged through the mud uh, as well. So as painful and shameful, uh, shame, as shameful as it was, they're saying, Lord, uh, you were faithful to your word. Straight, straight up, we knew this was going to happen. Uh, Leviticus 26, Deuteronomy 28 says, if you do this, I'll do that. Guaranteed. God has some negative promises. He keeps the positive ones and he keeps the negative ones. And there were a lot of negative things that said, if, I I think Deuteronomy chapter four says, if after many, many years, your grandchildren and their grandchildren just decide to walk away from me, rebel against my word, to do whatever they want, then I'll remove you from the land. I'll scatter you to the nations. Wonderfully, in the very same chapter, it says, if you repent and return your hearts to me, I'll I'll bring you back. So, you know, watch out for the negative promises. You know, your sin will find you out. It's a promise. It will always come to the surface. Like oil and water, shake it up, it'll always come out. uh, And we see that. You know, Brian Williams. (laughs) It, It always comes out in everybody else you hear about. Um, foolish behavior invites a beating. That's Proverbs 18.6. You know, it, that's a promise. You know, it's not necessarily one we hang on the refrigerator. <laughs> Severe discipline awaits anyone who leaves the path. The one who hates correction heads for disaster. Negative promise. Pride goes before destruction and arrogance before a fall. So there are some... There, This is what he's saying. There were a lot of negative promises. We were totally in the know. We deserve this, but we've disgraced ourselves and your name. Let's finish the prayer. Then we'll hit the prophecy. Now, O Lord, our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day, we have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all around us. 
Now, our God, hear the prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look with favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make requests of you because we are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act for your sake. O my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. You can feel the heat there, you know. And you know this is a contracted uh, version of this prayer that went on for hours, I'm sure. And so he says, you know, we love you. We know you're God. We've totally blown it. We're completely disgraced. We're totally to blame, but we're counting on your mercy here. And so that's what this paragraph's about. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. And Daniel really appeals to God now for God's own sake, you know, really kind of for the gospel, you know. And uh, he's saying, you know, part of the remorse for our sin involves how we've negatively impacted outsiders. That's the gist here. It's, it's Lord, for the sake of, of your name and the gospel, if you will, and the nations who need you, the light that you made us. Relight the light for your own sake and purposes on the earth. I went and visited somebody in jail years and years ago. And it was here in Santa Rosa. And uh, they just wept and wept and wept. And all he could say was, I've given non-believers a reason to despise the gospel. I've given unbelievers a reason to doubt God's word, to hate Christians. He was a mess. That's what they had done. Paul said in Romans chapter 2, he said, you know, he's talking to Jews who were hypocrites or even Christians, and he said, God's name is blasphemed because of you all day long. And he was quoting from Isaiah chapter 52. So, you know, when Christians divorce, and when they sue one another, when they, when they get caught in scandals, or they're fired, or they're troublemakers at work, or they're arrested, and you read about them in the press Democrat, I know there are, are all kinds of circumstances. But this is the heart of Daniel saying, you know what's the most tragic for me, God, in all of this, is that your beautiful name and your mission to save the world has been compromised because of our own self-centered sinning. That's what he's saying there. So now here comes this astonishing response uh, to this agonizing prayer. Uh, God keeps his word. He says, call upon me and I will answer you. 20 to 23, we'll start the response now. While I was speaking, praying, confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, there in Zion is called Jerusalem. While I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man, he looked like a man, I had seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight. About the time of the evening sacrifice, he's still on Jerusalem time, you know, he's in Iraq 
there, there's no evening sacrifice. What he's saying, you know, he still talks like a Jew, all right? So around three o'clock, four o'clock in the afternoon, he instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I have come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Now, yeah, I mean, highly esteemed uh, for sure. There's something about John and how his intimacy with the Lord. He was the beloved disciple. And hear that same idea here. John gets a revelation just like Daniel, but the end of the world. So something up with this close love-knit relationship, uh, God just pours out there. He likes to pour out where he's lovingly received and adored and obeyed. And so he gives this truth to uh, Daniel through Gabriel. So Gabriel returns now a second time. Um, uh, you'll remember uh, last chapter, he came and he, he gave the understanding about uh, Antiochus Epiphanes and that prototype uh, Antichrist who would be coming into the world. But Gabriel kind of left him hanging last chapter. So now, late afternoon, uh, a- a- Angel Gabriel shows up in human form. And so we talked about this before. Uh, who knows what angels look like in heaven? But we know when they talk to us, when they, when they get involved with humans, they, they take on human form. Uh, whether they're always that form or not, who knows? Uh, this is where people think that angels have wings because it's, it mentions that Gabriel came in swiftly in flight. A lot of commentators say, you know what, uh, bullets and missiles and arrows uh, fly, but they don't have wings. Um, so it doesn't say. Now, there are cherubim and seraphim in Isaiah chapter 1 uh, or Isaiah chapter uh, 6 and Ezekiel 1 that have wings. But they have different ministries. They're not messenger angels. They're, they're, they're around the throne. They do other things. So we're not sure. Uh, you know, that's just, just a thought about this. But uh, Gabriel comes in fast in an answer to prayer. I just really like that he says, you know, by the, as soon as you started praying, the answer was there. That's how it is always. In fact, in Isaiah, it says that sometimes God, before you pray, he's answered it. You know, I like this verse. <laughs> I like that a lot. And so he, he comes to, to give him some insight here. Now, let's take a look at the prophecy. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness to seal up vision and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Know and understand this. From the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, Messiah, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. It will be rebuilt with streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler who will come and will destroy the city 
and the sanctuary. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering and on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. There you have what is called the 70-week prophecy. Very famous and uh, something that we're gonna now uh, take a look at. Now, this has been called the prophecy of prophecies because these four verses will help you, if you understand them, to unlock the entire book of Revelation. And anything else, Matthew 24, when Jesus talks about the end of the world, this helps us understand everything. So it's, first of all, you have to, very important things I'm gonna point out. By the way, you're gonna leave here and you're all gonna understand this, just so you know. You know, or else. <laughs> it's not hard. Once you get the terms down, I've got a chart that's coming. Easy peasy. You're going to walk out of here. You're going to go, I get this. Promise. Really? <laughs> First of all, it's a prophecy to Israel and the Jews. No mention of the church. All right? So, so this is important. This is a timeline for your people. Who's his people? The Jews and Israel. When does Messiah appear and save Israel? He, this is the answer. The prophecy answers these questions. What's up with Israel? When does Messiah appear and save her? When is the end of human history and government? When is there going to be a reigning savior as promised in the Old Testament? Uh, when does God's kingdom appear and his Messiah start to reign and Israel enjoy her many promises? Well, it may be all about Israel, but it involves the end of the world. Why? Well, we know because of the objective of the prophecy which is given. At the end of the 77s, and we're going to talk about that, okay? At the end of that time frame, uh, the following things will have been accomplished. So we know it's the end of the world. All right? So watch. Number one, verse 24. The objective of giving you this information is, is that the following things will have happened in the time period of 70 times uh, seven, right? 70 times seven, right? There's so many numbers, it's unbelievable. Now, I just told you, you're going to understand this. <laughs> All right, listen. So, number one, objective. By the time of this 490-year period, the following things will have happened. One, finish of transgression. That means an entirely new order of human existence. No more transgressions. Done. Number two, to put an end to sin. Sin will be bye-bye. No more. The new kingdom will have come uh, no, nothing unrighteous or unclean will enter into it. Um, Revelation 21 and verse 27. Number three, it says, uh, atonement for wickedness. 
So God and man will be reconciled. That's obviously a reference to Christ's death on the cross to atone for sin. Uh, Number four, to bring in everlasting righteousness. Well, whatever happens, uh, 77s, 490 years, these 70 units of seven uh, is going to end with a kingdom that is only righteous. That's the end of the world. Right? So we know we're getting a prophecy that's going to span whatever 70 times 7 means. We know that God's kingdom is here at the end of it because he says it brings in everlasting righteousness, a world filled with God's righteousness only. And number five, there in your verse, uh, to seal up vision and prophecy means prophecies are fulfilled, all of them, 100%. If you seal something in an envelope, you don't add to it. It's over. It's consummated at the second coming and the establishment of thy kingdom come. And that kingdom had come. So he's saying that will be 77s, that all of these things will happen. And to anoint the most holy. Well, he already calls the Messiah, Jesus Christ, the anointed so to anoint the most holy would be, you know, in, at the end where the Lord says, well, Revelation uh, says, and I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, now the dwelling of God is with men and he will live with them. He will be his, he will be his people, they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who is seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. It's coronation. That last saying of to anoint the most holy is is to crown him finally king. All the prophecies are fulfilled, the Old Testament, the New Testament. Everything is done at the end of the 77s. All right, so uh, let's take a look at that. Now, we're going to start with, he gives a timeline. Now, let me just explain what 77s mean, okay? In some of your Bibles, it says 70 weeks. And there's a Hebrew word that can mean a week or a seven, and it can mean seven years, all right, so the, so the NIV just says, don't confuse people with the weeks part of it. It means a unit of seven, and that's what you would multiply. So if you say 77s or 70 weeks, it just means a unit of seven multiplied by seven. You have 490 years. Then he's going to break it down, all right? So I've got a chart for you. So here's what he says. The total thing is 77s, 490 years, right? So he says, from the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, from that official announcement, and we have the date, by the way, Artaxerxes tells Nehemiah, and we have that in Nehemiah chapter 2, 1 through 8. He gives him permission and safe passage and supplies to go to Jerusalem, rebuild the city and the walls. This happened in 445 BC, right there. He says, let's start the 70 
week, 77s, 490 years prophecy. At this point right here, the clock is ticking. As soon as Artaxerxes said that and did that, the, the clock is ticking. And so... Um, uh, the whole process will be complete there. Now he's going to break it down. Okay, so he's going to say, in the, in, he's going to say, there's seven weeks or 49 years, the temple will be completed, and he talks about that. Then he says, there will be 62 weeks after that. That's 434 years. It comes out to the day of Palm Sunday. They have all kinds of mathematical equations, uh, but there's, there's one guy that's, that's done a fantastic job that all the conservative scholars go to, that if you go from 445 BC, from the, from the year of the decree, you, if you do the math and you use lunar months, you will come up with the amount of days to land exactly on the day of Palm Sunday when Messiah appears, the one time Jesus arranged the events to say, I'm the king of Israel coming in to save the world. And so uh, he says, of the 69 weeks, he just says, first let's talk, let's break this down. Of 69 weeks, we're gonna have 49 years, and, and by the way, it was built and Jerusalem was fixed up in the walls. Everything was done in 49 years. Check. 62 weeks after that, or 434 years to the day, is Palm Sunday. My, bio, my commentators say hosts of Jewish scholars have become Christians because of this one prophecy. It's just so amazing that they could, that God gave this truth, right? And so then, let, let, well, it, it says, then we can go back to the verse. Why don't we go back to the verse? Okay, let's go again. 77s are decreed for your people to, we got all of that. No one understanding though. From the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, the anointed one comes, all right? There'll be seven sevens, that's the 49 years, and 62 sevens, the 483 after the, the four, whatever it is, to the cross. Okay, so we've got temple and we've got Messiah. It will be rebuilt. Now he's talking about the, the temple there, 49 years, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens now, the anointed one will be cut off and have nothing, will have nothing. Okay, so now we're at the cross, all right? It's a week from the cross, Palm Sunday. The people of the ruler who will come will destroy the city and the sanctuary, AD 70, all right? The end will come in like a flood. Now we're starting to look forward. War will continue until the end and desolations have been decreed. He, the Antichrist, will confirm a covenant, a peace treaty with the many, it should say the many, and it's talking about the Jews, for one seven. So uh, let's go back to the chart. We're going to go back and forth. Okay, so up until Palm Sunday and the cross, the 69 weeks are done. Check them off, right? Messiah's cut off and has nothing. He dies and, and there's, there's, an em there's an empty tomb, but he dies uh, not with a lot of assets, 
All right? And so he, he dies. Now, we've got the church age. What about the last, the 70th seven? Where is that week? Why, where that week would be seven years. Where's the last seven years? Well, there's a pause here because God was dealing with Jerusalem. He, he came to his own. His own rejected him. And he pressed pause. He pressed pause. He's done dealing with them officially. And now he birthed the church, which has been a mystery to the ages. And there's a pause between 69 and 70. And it's gone on a long time. And prophetic pauses happen all the time. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Unto us a child will be born. A son will be given. And his name shall be called Almighty God. And the government shall be upon his shoulders and all of that. There's a gap between that and Luke chapter 1 when Gabriel is saying, and he shall be called Emmanuel, and he is the son of God, and the government shall be on his shoulders. There was a big gap. Gaps happen in prophecies. So you have a gap here. We're not, the, we're not Israel. We're the church, right? So at the end of the church age, the church is taken out of the way in what is called the rapture. And then he says, he, this leader, makes a covenant, a peace treaty with Israel for seven years. And everything seems to be going fine for the first three and a half years. And this is all in the book of Revelation. And then in the middle, he, he does the abomination of desolation. And... and yeah. Jesus talks about the abomination of desolation as a future event. And, and to say that it happened in AD 70 is to forget what Jesus said about in Matthew 24. He said, watch out for the abomination of desolation. He said, for in that day, there will be more great tribulation that has ever been from the beginning of the world to the end of the world. And if those days weren't cut short, nobody would survive. So to say, as a lot of people do, that the abomination of desolation already happened in AD 70, oh, that's a mistake. Because I have Matthew 24. So when you see the, the standing in the holy place, the abomination that causes desolation, spoken of through the Daniel chapter 9, verse 24, our verse, let the reader understand that let those who are in Judea flee, and yeah, I, I talked about this last week, pray that your flight, not, okay, for then there will be great distress unequal from the beginning of the world until now. How about the flood? The flood was pretty severe, unequaled. And never to be equaled again. World War II was worse than AD 70. Only a million Jews died. Only a million is, an, uh, is not the right way to put that. But uh, Jerusalem is two square miles. The, this was not the end of the world. This is not why Je Jesus is saying, look forward. This thing has not happened yet. It's not going to be in AD 70. It's going to be at the end of the world. So thank you. For that, let's go back to the chart. So this guy comes out of a ten-nation, ten-nation coalition, and he is a little power, a little horn that speaks blasphemous ways about God. He's in the middle of the week, the middle of seven years. He sets himself up in the temple. 
proclaims himself to be God and gives life to an image that will speak. And he forces the world to worship him and take a mark that's some kind of mysterious thing. 666. You cannot buy or sell. At this point here, no buying or selling unless you take the mark. There are signs and wonders coming down from heaven. He takes a fatal blow to the head, as we mentioned last week, and Satan himself enters him, not a demon, but the devil himself possesses him and raises him from the dead. That's when he goes into this wing in the temple. Now, this is fascinating because up on the the temple mount, it's perfect. Build a little wing there. How long does that take to build a little wing? And he causes, when he makes a treaty with Israel, it seems that they're allowed to reinstate Jewish worship up on the mound in some sort of wing. And he stops that in the middle of the seven years. He goes in and he proclaims himself as God. And that is the point that the three and a half years turns into the great tribulation and all of the seal judgments, all of the trumpets, Judgment, trumpet judgments, and all of the bulls, 21 and three woes all on the earth. That's why Jesus said, never before have you seen anything like this, including the flood. (laughs) Including the flood. Nor will you ever see it again. So don't, you cannot tell me, oh, that was back then. It's coming, and it matches Revelation from 6 to 8. And of course, it is called the day of God's wrath, but Paul tells the Thessalonians, we were not appointed to wrath. That's why the church goes away in between 69 and 70. We're gone. And God starts to deal with Israel. Did you know the last seven years are called the time of Jacob's trouble? Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 2. Jacob's another word for Israel. It's all about Israel in the last seven years. So somebody comes in. Uh, this is what they believe. The, the, the church is taken away, and the wars of Ezekiel 38 probably happen. A lot of war happens. And in the settling of that, he, that leader, makes peace, and it involves the Middle East. And Jesus said in John chapter 5, I come in my Father's name, and you don't receive me. But another will come in his own name, and him you will receive. Talking about the Antichrist. So he's going to be, he's going to solve the world's problems and Israel's problems, and then all hell breaks loose in the middle Armageddon at the end when Christ returns with the church, with the, the angelic hosts, uh, to pour out, as it says, upon uh, this leader and the false prophet and the nations who followed after him. And so there you have it. Um, do you understand it? Yeah. <laughs> well, if you go over it, I have this chart for you in the back. So on your way out, Uh, You can get it. 
but it just uh, just fascinating that these days are coming and things are moving around on the planet just exactly the way that he said he would. Let me look at that text one more time and see if we finished it all up. The end will come like a flood. War will continue to the end till desolations have been decreed. In other words, he goes completely to the end um, doing his thing. He just never stops all the way to the end. He will confirm a covenant. We've talked about that in the middle of the seven, three and a half years in. He puts an end to sacrifice and on the wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. You can read about that in Revelation chapter 9. The Lord appears and they, uh, there's a, a war between the Lord and those armies. It doesn't last very long, <laughs> but there is a war. Uh, let me show you one last thing here out of Thessalonians. Concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and being gathered to him. We ask you, brothers, not to become easily unsettled or alarmed by some prophecy report or letter supposed to have come from us saying that the day of the Lord has already come, like you missed the rapture. Don't let anyone deceive you in any way, for that day will not come until the rebellion occurs and the man of lawlessness is revealed. Hey, you know, you can't be, you can't not, Jesus didn't come back secretly without even having the Antichrist around. The man doomed to destruction. He will oppose and will exalt himself over everything that is called God and is worshipped, so that he sets himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. Don't you remember that when I was with you, I used to tell you these things? And now you know what's holding him back, so that he may be revealed at the proper time. For the secret power of lawlessness is already at work, but the one who now holds it back, the Holy Spirit, will continue to do so till he, the Holy Spirit, is taken out of the way, this is an allusion, they say, to the rapture. And then the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord Jesus will overthrow with the breath of his mouth and destroy by the splendor of his coming. The coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracle signs and wonders." and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and be saved. You know, in closing, I just want to say, I kind of feel like a little bit like Daniel. You know, you're reading the scrolls and the scriptures, and you're watching it all unfold. I mean, Greece, Persia, which is Iran, and Russia are three big names in the last days. And just a few days ago, you see the new prime minister of Greece shaking hands with the prime minister of Russia. Russia and Greece now best friends. And there's a support of Persia, Iran, with the whole nuclear deal, Russia helping in that regard. All three of them are named Magog, Persia, and Grisha, it's called. And so for us to be just reading, looking up, seeing these things, and a host of all these other things happening, just inspire us to pray, to seek the Lord, to live right, to witness to our friends and family, and to be a light. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together.
Heavenly Father, thank you for your love. We, we pray that you would help us with kind of settle with these numbers. And we pray that you'd um, minister to us now as we close in prayer and open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to The Rock Podcast. Our regular services are held on Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. in Santa Rosa, California. If you would like to learn more, please visit our website at calvertherock.org.